Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Jim Hoban, your host for another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I have the unique and incredible opportunity every single session to visit with someone who's doing something cool. It might be cool at the local level, the community level, or even the national level. And today, it's a true honor for me to have my guest who is making a difference by putting his company in a position to change the way that brands are perceived and to change his community. Today, I'm gonna to have Reed share his story. He's gonna tell you where he came from, what he does, what his company does, and we're gonna have a great time. So as we get started first, let me take the opportunity to welcome Mr. Reed Silverman. Reed, welcome to the show. Hi, glad hey, to be here. It is yeah, great to have you. you. You know, we've worked together for a while in our businesses with we us have. at the law firm, and you guys helping us with some of the wraps on cars we've done and doing different things with us over the years. Yes, we I, have. I'm really interested. Uh, I want to talk first a little bit about what you do specifically, you know, with Ink Monsters, talk about the company. And then after you give a brief overview, then I want to go back because I love origin stories and I love for the audience to get to know the person behind the company. So if you wouldn't mind, yeah. just give a, an intro of what, uh, what Ink Monsters is all about, what it does, and then we'll go on from there. Sure. Yeah. Again, thank you for having me. Uh, I love this stuff. You know, anytime I get to share my story and, uh, you know, you talk about origins, you know, really that's what inspires people and gives them hope and uh, makes their dreams seem possible as well when they see somebody else has done something. So anytime I get the opportunity to share the story, it's it's my pleasure. Excellent. So um, tell us about, so yeah, what, you know, what Ink Monsters. Monsters. Yeah, Ink Monster. Um, man, we, we Ink Monster is a graphic design and large format printing company. We do vehicle wraps, wall wraps, you know, we do exterior building wraps, you know, things, you know, giant murals on the sides of buildings that are, that are actually vinyl applications, uh, stickers, banners, signs, uh, trade show materials, fabric printing. We do cut and sew apparel manufacturing and do all the cut and sew in-house. So we have a whole sew shop. Um, we can pretty much stick and brand and have printed materials to uh, design almost anything. You know, we've done boats, RVs, helicopters, uh, planes, you know, tour buses, uh, you know, you name it, we've wrapped it. We've been in business 16 years now. We're a nationwide company. We do installs all over the country. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a full graphic design team as well. So we can help with branding, identity, uh, any kind of graphic design, marketing campaigns, um, things of that nature. That's so incredible. it's a it's a it's a one stop shop for you know anything you need for branding, identity, and printed materials. Now, does that include things like you know people will brand pens or brand that kind of stuff? Is it is it the office? So that's promotional products. More that promotional would be that stuff? category. We don't do promotional products. We'll help you source that stuff. Yes. So you come to us and. You just want us to do everything for you. Yeah, we can. We don't do everything in house, and we don't claim to do all of that in house. But people don't know where to go for that type of thing as well. We know where to go for those types of things. So if you just want us to help get everything done, you know, we'll project manage the whole thing. Oh, see, yeah. that's what a great resource for people. And you know, as we as we go into the business story, um, I want to delve into some really key components mm -hmm. to that because it's not easy to create a national brand now especially you know it's it's a little different now with the internet if you're mm -hmm. playing a middleman and you're buying and flipping or you're doing that kind of stuff then you can go worldwide with things or if you're selling content but when doing what you're doing to be able to wrap something or put a big mural across the country that takes some chops to get that done mm -hmm. and so what is it that makes up with you being the the founder ceo of that company what is the mentality of of a, a founder that has that kind of vision, uh, where does that come from? What's it about? Well, um, <laughs> I guess that's just the way I was created by God. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. uh, it's, it's the way my brain works, the way my mind works, my passion, my dream, my heart. You know, I, I always want to do everything differently. I've never wanted to conform to you know, society's rules and do things the way we're, you know, programmed as a society to do things. Um, Were you like that as a kid? Always, always. Ever since I can remember. You know, if somebody said, go left, I'm going right and figuring out why I want to go right and, and uh, 
just making it happen and doing things differently and creatively. Were you a good student or were terrible you, student? Terrible student. You know, uh, had trouble focusing, paying attention, uh, extremely high energy levels, uh, very creative, just um, always wanted to do my own thing in my own way. Like a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is <laughs> correct. That's what makes us who we are, right? Yes. Um, didn't really have a lot of supervision growing up. Didn't really have any mentors. It was mostly just learning by watching and doing, you know, seeing the way somebody did something, taking what I wanted to take away from that and putting my twist on it. So I never had these preconceived notions that this is how you have to do something. It wasn't taught by anybody. This is how you should do it, which I'm grateful for because when I see something, I'm like, oh yeah, I take a piece of what that guy is doing, or I don't like what that guy is doing, but I'm going to take this other piece from what he does and then, you know, apply it over here or whatever, however I want to configure those personality traits or concepts. Um, the thing is, I just always, you know, when, when I started Ink Monster, I didn't really plan what has happened. Okay. It, it wasn't the big dream to start this company and make it what it is. There was no business plan. There was no marketing plan. It was pretty much a side gig for me, a side hustle to make extra money to support my snowboarding career. Your habit. My <laughs> habit, you know, it was just, okay, well we don't, you know, I make enough money to live through sponsorships and uh, you know, I, I coach teams, snowboarding, snowboarding. Yeah, I coach snowboarding, yeah, high school and college teams, uh, competition teams. And, uh, you know, I made okay money, but I wasn't saving. So I started this side thing to, you know, have money to save. So what was the first product and was the name always Ink Monsters? No, it was not. Okay. Ink Monster, no S. Oh, sorry. Ink yeah, Monster. Ink Monster. Yes. Um, no. Uh, it wasn't always the name of the company. The first two years, I think I changed names seven times. Like, you did? I, I couldn't figure out, you know, my customers were, were complaining or commenting. Every time I send them an invoice, that there'd be a new logo or a new <laughs> name on the top. And I'm, they're just like, you know, is this still the same company or am I still dealing with you? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm just playing with some things, you know, um, which, you know, side note to, you know, new entrepreneurs, it doesn't have to be perfect to start. You know, so many people out there think that, you know, they wait and they wait and they procrastinate. It's not as good as I need it to be. It's not as good as I want it to be yet. It's not exactly, you know, look a certain way. Well, if I would have waited for it to look a certain way before I started, I probably would have started two, three, five years later than I did because we didn't actually land on Ink Monster and the logo and the design and the name until, yeah, 2006. Okay. Yeah. So it took time. So we started the business in 2004. You know, that's when I started invoicing people and, you know, had a tax ID number and, and actually was, you know, making money, but we didn't trademark the logo and the name until 2006. Okay. Well, yeah. when you're doing this before you have the final name, what was the first product? So you're snowboarding, you're coaching, you're doing yeah, yeah. it, you're going for it. And then you say, I have a gift or a talent to do something and I'm going to start doing that on the side. What was that? The, the first product that we made yes was stickers yeah so in the snowboard world was that your primary it was primarily for ski and snowboard shops i was living in aspen at the time i moved to aspen in 2004 to coach the high school competition team and um i was living in my van kind of off the grid because you know that's highly frowned upon in the town of aspen yes. to live in your car yes uh so many try few are successful. Uh, I successfully did that for a year, um, living under the radar. Few people knew who I could trust, mm -hmm. but yeah, I had a, a sticker machine in my friend's kitchen. I was living in his driveway and that's where it all began. That's incredible. And yeah. so you, did you design the stickers or did you take requests? Someone would say, yeah, man, I want a sticker of this. Like what was the thinking behind that? Um, the thinking was whatever I can get, take what I can get, mm -hmm. you know, whether I had to, tr I, I wasn't a graphic designer. I had no graphic design training. Uh, I had no training in any of the things that I was doing. I kind of <laughs> learned as I went, you know, I had to learn how to use the machine, learn how to use the software. Um, most of the time people just provided their artwork, 
and I made it for him. Okay, very you cool. Know, I remember having to beg my father for a six. I mean, I had zero money at the time. Uh, I had a I had a professional career years before that, which we can go into you know later in the conversation. But at this point in my life, I had zero money. And how old are you um, at that time? Good question. Um, 29. Okay. So yeah. late twenties yeah. going towards yeah, late twenties. Um, and I had to beg my father for a $600 loan cause I needed the PC to run this sticker machine. Yes. And I software. couldn't start the business without a computer. And, uh, you know, I do not have a, a history of doing well with my finances. And, uh, so it was a hard no for my dad to lend me any money for a long time. So I had to beg and beg and beg for months. And, uh, you know, I pitched him my idea of this sticker business <laughs> and he thought I was crazy. You know, he's like, who, who buys stickers? You know, how are you going to make a living doing this? I'm like, trust me, dad, like this is real. There's a demand. I can make a lot of money. And, um, you know, finally he gave me the 600 bucks with the promise that I pay him back within six months. And I think I paid my loan back in three. And he was so proud. And, and, and I have never paid a loan back <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so, you know, that was, a, that was a tremendous feat. And he was surprised, impressed, and uh, grateful. That yeah. is incredible. How yeah. long did you live in the van? It, it started off to be a year. Uh, and then, uh, so I was here in Colorado in the winters uh, coaching. And then I was out in Oregon coaching on the glacier and Mount hood, uh, did that on and off for 10 years. And, uh, so yeah, maybe a couple of years I was living in the van and then, uh, I was able to rent an apartment in Aspen and I turned that living room into a shop. So we had no living room space. It was all benches and, you know, computer, you know, sticker machine, you know, workbench, all of that. Uh, 2006 moved to Boulder, same thing, turned the apartment into a shop and, and, uh, every, every couple of years I moved into a bigger house or an apartment or a condo or whatever it was at the time. And I always just turned my house into a shop, you know, very little living space, just workspace, low overhead, low, oh, no, overhead, keep it, really. yeah, keep yeah. it had simple. a roommate, you know, always had a roommate to, you know, help cover the rent. And always had other jobs. I had my coaching job, you know, or I worked in, you know, a spa or a hotel or a retail store, whatever other job I can do to support the growth of the business. With the vision at this point, once, once you got to that point, did you think Reed, this could go somewhere? So you told your dad, Hey, I can make a lot of money, but you also said at the beginning, you didn't think it would be this yeah. national beast that it's become. I did not think it would be what it is. I had a, I had an idea like, okay, yeah, I can make money. And I knew there was value in it. And I knew that this type of business, I can work with any business, any industry, in any season. So if I play my cards right, I should always have work coming in and I should never go out of business because there should be always somebody to work with at any given time. What a great business model, right? Thinking of who your clients and your customers are, if you thought seasonally, like that's impressive. Your mind was working at a global scope of the problem or the issue, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, my passion is this. I'm just going to stay focused on that. I'm going to be in my lane because here's the interesting thing to me. When you look at what ink monster does, it's so wide in breadth. You have some people that say, man, you need to focus your business and your verticals so that you can be the best in class. But yeah. you defy that completely by saying, yeah, we, we do branding. Our vertical is branding and we can do it with a bus wrap. We can do it with a mural. We can do it with something on your wall. And so how did you come to that from stickers? Was that a intentional strategy or did business just start coming in that you just said, yeah, I think we can do that and expand it. Mm. Uh, it's a great question. It was just a natural progression of the printing business. As I learned more about the printing business and, you know, got educated on what's possible and what equipment was out there. Um, it was something that I just really enjoyed doing. Yeah. I talked about, Hey, if I work with every industry and every business, I'll never go to business. That's all great. 
But really, as the side hustle, it was just a hobby that I really, really enjoyed. You know, when I left New York, you know, I made a commitment to myself. You know, up until that point, up until I left New York, my my whole way of being, you know, the only thing I cared about was money. Could care less about anything else. Heart of stone, no conscience. You know, didn't care about anything. How do I make money? Why and I will that? do anything to make money. You, you give me any task, any job. You know, I've, I've had every job under the sun, you know, pretty much. I was a janitor. I cleaned toilets. I cleaned pools. I did landscaping. Like, you name it. I worked in restaurants. Like, very few things that I haven't done. Uh, why was that? Because we grew up poor. We had nothing. We had less than nothing. Um, and so you determined, you said... I will not live this way the rest of my life. Yeah. I will make mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had my first job when I was 11 and been working ever since. But if I wanted anything, I had to pay for it and get it myself. So I was determined to make my own way from a very young age. Um, so, you know, there was a shift around 23 years old where money wasn't the most important thing to me anymore. What caused that shift? Because a lot of 23-year-olds are not in that mindset. <laughs> They're just starting that mindset. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up fast at an early age. Like I said, my, that was my first job, 11 years old. Um, well, I've had a lot of jobs from 11 to 23. I was already in the workforce for a long time. And, uh, so, you know, I was in high school working in the warehouse at my brother's computer company, uh, quickly moved my, and I would cut school to go to work. <laughs> you know, I just cared about money. I was like, I'm making more money and I don't need to be in school right now. And I would cut school and go to work. And, you know, they'd ask questions like, why aren't you in school? I'm like, oh, we had a teacher conference day or, you know, I'd make up some excuse. Your parents would yeah, ask you? <laughs> no, no, the teachers. Oh, the I'm teachers. sorry, uh, not the teachers. Um, my oh, employer. Gotcha. He would ask like, why aren't you in school? And you know, I'd make up some excuse so I can get paid instead. Um, but quickly worked my way up from warehouse to computer technician. You know, they sent me to technical school. Uh, I was also taking night classes at community college. And, uh, you know, within two years, worked my way up to lead computer tech, you know, managing a lot of city accounts, all the financial institutions in Manhattan, uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, you know, Reuters, ING Capital Management. And I was being contracted out to be on site and stay at these places to be their in-house tech. And I love that job. I thought this was going to be what I do for the rest of my life. And um, then, you know, a family member, you know, came, came rolling by in his Ferrari with the Rolex and the suit and, and everything and just flashing money. And, you know, he kind of recruited me to get into the stock market game. So... That's what I did. I, I basically put in my two weeks at the computer company, quit college, and uh, moved back home to save money. And uh, that was it. I went into the trainee program to be a stockbroker. So long story short, I worked my ass off at that place. I mean, it was extremely long days, you know, 14-hour days, plus the commute, um, weekends. It was five years of the most grueling, intense, stressful, agonizing job I've ever had in my life. And um, But my personality at the time was built perfectly for that job. It, it, you know, who I was, I, I, I always say my, all my faults were virtues in that job. <laughs> That's such an itch. I've never heard that. All my faults were virtues in this situation. What made me a shitty person then <laughs> made me great at my job. Yes. But, it, you know, over the years, as I got better and better at it, as, you know, my clientele grew, my book grew, my account book grew, I was making more money. You know, I went from making nothing to a ton of money at, I think I, I was doing that. By, I started that. I was 19 years old. I started that job. So, you know, 23 rolls around, I'm just about to turn 24 and, you know, I'm looking around and I'm like, this is not who I want to be anymore. Like there was just an instant shift. Instant. It was just like, hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I'm looking around in a boardroom of a hundred brokers and I'm just like, this is not me. This is not, I don't want to be that guy 
or that guy in five years from now and 10 years from now. Like, this is not what I want my life to look like and who I want to be anymore. And I just, I, I literally walked into my boss's office, put my book on his desk and I walked out. There was no words exchanged. Just like on a TV show or something. Just, just like, like that. You, the, I, there was no opportunity or chance for him to talk me out of it or give an explanation. There was nothing that was going to convince me otherwise. I was done. Wow. And is that when you went to Aspen right after that? Is that what? Uh, there was a, uh, a time period where I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I worked in the garment district in, in Midtown for a little while uh, as a fashion rep, a clothing rep in a showroom. That was super fun. Did you have uh, all the sweet clothes then? Yeah, yeah. All, all, we had multi-lines and nice. it, it was great. And, you know, the, the guy who hired me thought if I could sell stock, you know, I could sell clothes. And I was into fashion at the time. Uh, but mostly I just went snowboarding, you know. Uh, most of the time I just kind of drove up to New Jersey and went snowboarding. And, and um, that's kind of when I realized that I don't want to be in New York anymore. If, if, if I needed to and wanted to change who I was from the inside, I had to change my environment. And the environment I was in was toxic to the growth and my well-being emotionally and mentally and physically. So I, I, I bought a one-way ticket to Vail. Well, sorry, that's not true. I bought a one-way ticket to Colorado, uh, packed my bag, and I just left. By had, yourself, didn't yeah, have friends, yeah. broke up with my girlfriend, girlfriend, packed a bag, bought a one-way ticket, moved to Colorado, never been here before. I just heard it was the place to go if you want to pursue a snowboarding career. Wow. And that was it. And when you came here, did you get a snowboarding coach? Did you just jump on the mountain? How did you um, go pursue it? I had that? an interview lined up. Like I didn't really know where to go. I've never been here before. You know, the, the bus from the airport. And I have no money. Like we, as a broker, we spent all of it. We thought it grew on trees. <laughs> you know, it's dinners and clothes and partying. And like, you know, just like the movies, you know, we blew, blew it just as fast as we got it. So I was left with nothing. Maybe two weeks of cash to, you know, get myself set up. It was fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. As much stress as we had, those times were, there were some fun times too. Um, but the bus from the airport Went to Keystone, Vail, and Aspen. Never heard of Keystone. Uh, in the movies, Aspen looked way too pretentious for me. So I, I just picked Vail. <laughs> it, it was the winner by default. Uh, it was the So I got an interview as a, as a snowboard instructor and got that job. That's where it started. Yeah, and that's where it all started. Wow. So what's the? how do you make the transition from Vail to Aspen? So you start your company in Aspen. Oh, yeah. uh, well, I was in Vail for five years, uh, instructing. Uh, and then, again, I was out in Oregon coaching at Wendell's snowboard camp for the summers. Uh, eventually ended up being head coach of that camp. Um, after five years in Vail, uh, 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 through working as a coach at the summer camp on the glacier in Oregon, I got recruited. I got recruited to be a coach in the, for the Aspen team. So it, it just so happened that that was the year. So a, a buddy of mine taught me how to make stickers at camp and we'd work on all the camp vehicles and help with the sponsorships, uh, you know, branding the camp from the sponsors, you know, all the snowboard and ski sponsors. And, um, I volunteered to help with that project or projects. And I found out I really, really enjoyed, you know, the creativity and the, 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 the graphic design part and, you know, the, the making of everything, the producing, the manufacturing part really, and you know, that sparked my interest. So when I moved to Aspen, uh, the goal was I, I specifically flew back to New York, bought a van, so I can start the business, so I could save money. You know, it's a do what it take, do whatever it takes attitude, you know, to start a business, yes, you know, sacrifice, is. willing to do anything, you know, willing to do what most people are not willing to do. Uh, and then times that by 10. Right. <laughs> uh, so I was like, yeah, you know, my family thought I was crazy. They're like, you're going to live in a van and, and work multiple jobs and, and it's winter and you're going to try and start a sticker business. Like none of this made sense to anybody. But um, 
That's what my instincts told me that I should do. And that's what my gut said I should do. So I did it. You know, it's funny when you have nothing and you have nothing to lose, uh, you know, what you're willing to do. Wow. You that's know? really powerful. When you have nothing and have nothing to lose, what you're willing to do. Yeah. Impressive. So, you know, you were saying that your father eventually lent you the 600 yeah. bucks. And you also mentioned that you guys didn't have a lot of money growing yeah. up. Was that a stretch for him at that point at oh, time yeah. gone by to get you the 600? Absolutely. That's why he was reticent because he's like, man, this is not a sure thing. And 600 bucks is a lot of money. To That's me. a lot of money. Wow. You know, and, um, you know, I have to say he was one of the only people in the beginning who supported my decisions. I'll bet that meant yeah. so much to you. He was, he was the type of dad, is the type of dad who, you know, if do whatever you want in life. I have no expectations except be the best at it. You know, you want to be a garbage man? Great. You know, be the best garbage man you can be. You know, whatever you want to do in life, I'll back you. Just put in 110% doing it. Wow. I'll bet he's so proud now. Do you guys still hang out and talk about oh, every day? This? Yeah. I mean, he's, oh, my whole family's still in New York. Okay. Uh, but him and I talk almost every day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So now take us through how you go from um, doing the stickers into the next level thinking where people, was it because of that time in Utah where you were branding uh, Oregon van, or sorry, Oregon, uh, yeah. where you were branding the vans and doing that kind of thing on the glacier or where, where did that now come in where you're thinking, wow. Let's take this now into this vertical. Um, man, again, just from doing it and seeing what's possible, you know, I, I started sourcing some printing, some actual large format printing from some of my competitors and I would just do the installations myself. So I'd sell the jobs, source the materials and do the labor. And, uh, you know, that's a funny story. So I was doing this for a while, making money, and I'm grateful to some of my competitors who didn't think I would make anything of myself. <laughs> and this kid is just gonna, you know, buy some prints from us and do some installs. Um, many of them, I blew the doors off of a few years later or they're no longer in business, but they, they didn't see me coming, you know, basically. You stayed under the radar. You know, stayed under the radar. They didn't know about you know what? I I didn't even know what I was gonna do, but um, I'm did any of them try to recruit you along the way no. of saying, "Hey, man, you're doing all this. Maybe you just come work." No, because they didn't see the vision, and we'll get into that. They didn't see like my marketing plan and and how and why that would work in this industry, because no one's ever done what I did in this industry. Now, and you know, I'll call them all out. They're all copying me now. Uh, my marketing plan, my brand identity, like everything I do to build my brand, they're all on board now. Wow. Um, even some of the big chains. So and I think that's interesting. But, you know, so, and I, and I told this story the other day. It's pretty funny. You know, um, you know, I was a kid. I'm young. I'm a snowboarder, you know, dressed like a thug, you know, kind of that snowboarder, like punk, you know, lifestyle, baggy, everything, yes. you know, like yes. just, just, you know, maybe you would, you know, label me a certain way if you saw me right so i'm walking down the street downtown denver i'm passing a wells fargo bank and i'm just like i'm gonna walk in there and ask for a loan and i did i asked to see a loan officer i pitched him my my sticker business idea and uh, i walked out with a fourteen thousand dollar equipment loan uh, like i was <laughs> you were you were shocked were you shocked like, who's gonna give me money uh guy gave me money i mean of, of course an equipment loan and it's collateral backed it's fine but you know yeah they gave me a loan so that was pretty cool so that's when i really dove into you know why should i be buying this stuff from my competitors when i can buy my own printing equipment you know learn how to use it learn the software learn the machines learn the materials and um just one more piece of equipment to add to my kitchen <laughs> you know who needs a stove you know who needs a stove <laughs> so yeah so i think that's that was the turning point so that was probably a couple of years later you know where i i decided to start taking the business to the next level and making it a real business wow how many people do you have in the company right now um i'd say we have uh at any given time eight to ten salary employees you know full-time employees um, but we also work with a lot of contractors. Um, so I'd say, you know, 18 to 20 total. Okay. You know, we have seamstresses 
who are contractors. We have some installers who are contractors. You know, we have in-house uh, designers, production people, installers as well. Uh, sometimes we contract um, graphic designers, you know, some freelance graphic designers. But um, yeah, I would say anywhere from at any given time, depending on the time of year, how busy we are, uh, 16 to 20 people. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite, like a coolest thing that you've ever wrapped or muraled that you've branded some way? Is there just one thing or a couple that just stand out as these were ridiculous? Um, yes. Um, I mean, you know, honestly, I've been doing this for 16 years and sometimes, you know, with the countless projects we've done over the years, um, it's not necessarily the most technical or the most difficult. That's the coolest. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing that sticks out that actually gave us the most recognition uh, was about 10 years ago or eight years ago, we started wrapping the Red Bull helicopters for their movies. Yes. That was super cool. And also a very technical project. A helicopter is all round surfaces. Like there's really nothing flat on those Which things. Which has got to make it like if there's anything else, when you try to wrap something that's round, you get wrinkles on it. Yeah, right? yeah. It's super technical installation. Um, but the press and the recognition, because very few people in my industry have done that. Uh, so that, that was really, really awesome. Um, we've done really large building wraps. That's always super fun. You know, anything that's really artistic and creative. Cause you know, a lot of what we do is plain Jane, plain vanilla, you know, corporate branding or, you know, just regular sign and, and graphic stuff. So, you know, when we get to wrap an entire parking structure, uh, and work with Denver arts and venues and work with local artists and take their small scale artwork and blow it up to, you know, 200 feet, you know, that's really cool. So, um, you know, we've done MTV music awards, got to go to the MTV music awards and like hang out and, you know, with, with you know, musicians and artists and, and do the thing. Uh, that was really cool. Um, yeah, you know, things like that. That is fantastic. Yeah. I, I think uh, what I enjoyed the most out of all of it wasn't even projects. Uh, it was what got us the brand identity that we got, which was all the event production for 10 years. And was that, was the event production, was that something that was tied into either any certain event um, like the X Games or, you know, Red Bull stuff? Or oh, yeah. was that a series of events that was just all over the country? We, we did a lot for, for X Games for many years, which is super cool. And Aspen's been a great partner and client for many years. Considering I started the business there, you know, they're still to this day one of my best customers. Um, but no, to answer your question, um, I had no money. And I had, you know, you know to, and this is what I, what I was talking about, where now people in my industry are copying what I'm doing or was doing for so many years. Um, it was events by necessity. I didn't have any way to traditionally market my company and get the word out and let people know we exist. So in 2006, I started throwing parties. You know, basically what I did was learn from the Red Bulls, the GoPros, you know, all the eyewear beverage companies, the, you know, alcoholic brands, like any brand. I mean, we worked with every brand or potentially every brand. Uh, most of the brands I was working with at the time were action sports based type of companies or geared towards that demographic. So I basically copied exactly what they were doing. Because uh, that's all consumer face branding, brand identity, brand marketing. And I applied it to an industry where it's never been applied to before. And this is where everybody thought I was crazy. You know, why have consumer facing branding and consumer facing identity when you're a B2B company? That doesn't make any sense. But um, that was the best way for me to build my brand identity. And that's when I started throwing all these events, producing my own events. I had my own art show for seven years, my own a pool party for seven years. Uh, we did concerts every single year for a long time. And they were branded events that people would come to and look forward to every single year. They all had names. Uh, same time of year, people looked forward to them. 
and I would raise the money through all my sponsors, AKA my clients who I was already working with. So giving them and providing them with more value than just being a printer for them, you know, helping them brand their companies through event marketing. And, um, yeah, I threw free events for 10 years and became the first person in my industry to have a true artistic lifestyle brand, um, as a, as a, as a sign shop, as a printing company, as a B2B company. So, um, yeah, and nobody in my industry supported that or understood what I was doing. But then when they saw us on covers of magazines and articles written about us and awards being won and, you know, all the customers that we were getting because of that, um, you know, now I see them all doing it. <laughs> you know, they're all yes. changing their, their brand identity. They're all doing, you know, everything I've been doing for a decade. Isn't that cool? You get to see the... What do they say? Imitation is the highest yeah. form of flattery or something yeah, of that yeah. nature. That's wonderful. It used to really piss me off. Of course. Like they're copying me. They're doing, and then, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, so create more, them. create faster, innovate, all those. Keep kinds my of blinders on one foot in front of the other. Do you, you know, one day at a time, do my thing. Yeah. What, if, what about, speak to me about brand. So you build brands. If for someone who's listening, who either has a business or is helping as a key team member to run the business, how do you feel the importance of brand plays out in the success of the business? And what are the best ways to get a brand out for a a new company? That's a great question. I mean, brand, when you think about what brand identity is, it's the consumer identifying that their personality is in alignment with your brand. You know, when they put, when they wear your logo on a t-shirt, when they put your sticker on their laptop or car, you know, they're wearing your, whatever, whatever the consumer product is, what that consumer is saying is that my personality is in alignment with the, with the identity of this company, the values of this company, And this is what I want everybody around me to know about me without having to say a word. You know, I wear a lot of Nike, a lot, you know, (laughs) I've been a Nike head, a sneaker head my whole life. And when people see me wearing Nike, you know, it says something about my personality without me having to say anything. So, um, you know, as a brand, you have to identify who you are. You know, Ink Monster, we're creatives, we're artistic, you know, we're fun, we're young, you know, we're hip, we're cool, you know, we just want to have a blast, have fun, create really cool art, and and help people do the same. Um, You know, no sign shop in my industry has ever really done that. You know, they have all the tools, they have all the printers, they they help everybody build their brands, but they don't take the extra time and effort to use those same tools to build their own brand at a fraction of the cost. Yes, yes. It boggled my mind how you have all the stuff and you pay practically nothing to do what you're doing for others for yourself. So why wouldn't you? That is so good. So I did. Uh, so yeah, you know, definitely identifying yourself as a brand and you know what you're trying to say and who you are is really important. And then it's, you know, man, we did a ton of guerrilla marketing over the years. How did you define that? Was it out just handing out stickers and doing that kind of thing? Handing out stickers, you know, doing stuff around town, you know, tagging things, uh, throwing the events, word of mouth. We were sponsoring every event. You know, it's, it's really just a lot of repetitive, um, you know, having people see your name constantly, you know, for years, people, everybody knew who ink monster was by name, but they had no idea what we did. They had no idea who we were. They just say, I see that name everywhere. I see ink monster. Every-. And then, you know, I, I heard so many people over the years tell me once they started working with us, Oh, ink monster. Yeah. I've been seeing that name everywhere for years. And now I know what you do, you know? 
So it didn't matter to me that they didn't know what we do. It was almost intentional. I intentionally didn't put what we did on our branding. I wanted it to be mysterious. I wanted it to be looked at as artistic, but I wanted the people to inquire themselves. You know, like see our logo. What is that? Let me look it up on the internet. Very cool. Did that pay a ton of dividends for you from that perspective? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the same thing with the events. Like these days, yeah, event events. Uh, there's a lot of different ways digitally to track your ROI on events. Back then, there wasn't a ton. You know, people say you're putting almost time and effort and energy and 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 money uh, into creating all these events. What's your ROI? Like, I have no effing idea. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea what my return is and how many customers I got from this. What I did know is I was building a brand identity and a culture. You know, when I remember I'm at a stoplight and I, I see somebody wearing an Ink Monster t-shirt for the first time who I didn't know. Oh, that's the best. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, I was actually building a culture and, and a brand identity. Did you stop and say anything to that guy or no. did you just see him and no. go on your way? Just appreciated the dude walking by, yes. you know, with my brand on his body. That is so cool. Or when I see people with Ink Monster stickers on their car, you know, I've never seen anybody to date with any of my competitors logo on somebody's body or car or laptop to date. That is where you want to be. You know, so, you know, it's creating a culture. You know, and when you talk about creating a culture, kind of shifting gears into the philanthropic side, you have a heart for giving back. I know that you uh, have your business, at least a connection to your business in one of the poorest neighborhoods or traditionally one of the poorest mm -hmm. neighborhoods in Denver. And, and that's not necessarily by accident. You want to give back. You want to support the community. You have these Denver days where you give out backpacks and school supplies. And we've been a part of that with mm -hmm. you. We've been a partner with you. Explain where that comes from as far as sure. part of your culture. It wasn't the plan originally. Yeah, we donated a lot of things to other businesses, uh, you know, years prior to the Denver Days events. Um, we would help. I mean, we were, we were still a small business, not a lot of cash flow. I mean, we're still a small business in, 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 in the grand scheme of things, um, but even smaller back then. Um, after 10 years of throwing some of the craziest, wildest, best, most fun parties ever, um, I realized like, what is this? You know, and it did serve a purpose. Like I mentioned earlier, it did serve a purpose and it gave us a brand identity and a brand awareness. And, you know, people now knew who we were in Denver. But it was... I had this empty feeling inside. Like, what was I really doing? You know, spending a hundred grand on an event or, you know, not spending, raising from sponsors, but you know, anywhere from 30, 40 grand to a hundred grand on a party for one day or one night. Um, that didn't feel good. And, uh, so I, 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 be, I pretty much just quit. I just stopped doing events, just slammed on the brakes no more events. And we were doing these, not just in Denver. We were doing them in New York. Uh, and we were doing them in Miami for Art Basel. So I was in three states doing events. And we were probably sponsoring 50, 60 events on top of that a year. Oh, man. So I was doing 12 of my own events a year and sponsoring that many events a year and, you know, running the business. So, you know, I'm a 16, 18 hour a day guy doing all of this. All on my own. Um, so yeah, slammed on the brakes there. And, uh, it was actually one of my employees, ex-employees wife who worked for Denver housing authority, who was, who's a customer, um, saying, you know, there's this thing called Denver days and nobody's doing it in Sun Valley. You know, we had just moved to Sun Valley a couple of years prior. It's an enterprise zone. You know, we got funding from the office of economic development, uh, to, to buy the building in that neighborhood. Uh, so that was a, a blessing. Um, but she said, no one's doing that in this neighborhood. She said, I, she didn't have to say another word. I'm like, that's it. We're doing that. 
It's the only event I'm going to do this year. And I put all my focus into one event. And I just got goosebumps thinking about it, actually. Because um, there was a need. And we did. I, I still wanted to do something. I didn't know what. I was waiting for the, you know, that opportunity to present itself. And it did. And, um, you know, thankfully, you know, people like Ramos Law and all the other sponsors that we had, you know, we still had to raise the money. Events still cost money. I still had to raise 50 grand to put on an event. Um, and that's not including, that's on top of, you know, all the backpacks, school supplies, socks, underwear, toiletry kits, like everything that we gave away, hiring and booking the talent to put on the concert, you know, all the food, all the beverage, you know, it was, uh, uh, instead of doing parties where it was all based on alcohol and partying, we did parties based on, you know, it, it was all about the kids because Sun Valley is 70% kids. It's predominantly youth. So does that mean that, is that because it's a relatively small community where one family has multiple kids? Is that how you get yeah. to that ratio? Yeah, Okay. Mm -hmm. exactly. So yes, you know, Sun Valley was and still is one of the lowest income neighborhoods in Denver. Um, it's my backyard. So I decided to throw block parties. We did it for five years. We haven't done it recently. Um, I have to change my focus and shift into running the business in a different way the past couple of years. But there was a five-year solid run where we did this event every single year. And it was not just a blessing to the neighborhood, but it was a blessing to my business. I would say out of all the things that we've done over the years, the Denver Days event has reaped more growth than anything I've ever done. We got paid back in spades. Wow. Unexpectedly. Like I had no idea that doing something good for free and donating to charity and helping people in the neighborhood would come back to me tenfold. And it did. And that gives me goosebumps right there. I just got goosebumps. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. And nothing, so, nothing more has helped grow my business uh, to date. Man. And so with COVID, I'm sure that had to have a huge impact on planning and, and doing everything in your business, especially when everyone went inside, right? Yeah. We all went hibernating. I yeah. know it affected our business as well. How did you lead through that time with your team and with your customers? What did you do to either connect, stay connected, quell the fear, that kind of thing? Um, my faith in God, a number one, uh, is what calmed me down. Um, you know, when this happened, you know, what are we just over a year in, right? Uh, there was some sort of calmness that came over me. So that's usually not me. Usually I'm a stress <laughs> case, freaking out, million miles an hour, you know, um, don't sleep. You know, my mind never shuts off. You know, I'm always planning, thinking, you know, angles, strategy, you know, worrying about something, you know. And um, there was this weird calming feeling that we're all in the same boat. It's not just me. Yeah. My business is effed. Yeah. Well, so is everybody else's. And for some reason that made me feel better. Is that weird? I don't know, but, but just knowing, okay, we'll figure it out. I, I don't know. And you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of meditation, um, Trust and faith. You know, God got me this far, you know, uh, never failed me prior. And again, we're all in the same situation. Oh, so good. So good. You'd mentioned that growing up, <clears throat> you didn't have a lot of mentors to look to you and you kind of want to do your own thing and figure it out and that kind of thing. At this point in your life and your career, do you look to others for guidance or is there a mentor, someone, an author or a speaker or individuals that you <laughs> depend on more now? Or are you still just kind of the rogue maverick dude going for, on your own way? Uh, I'd say a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, I listen to a lot of 
um, you know, positivity speakers, personal development speakers. I do have my favorites. Who are your favorites? Um, I think Les Brown is one of my favorites. Classic. Yep. You're a fan. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Dyer. Oh, another fave. Yep. He's on um, my list too. Yep. And, and more of the same. Lisa Nichols. You know. Um, man, Les gets me hard, man. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been listening to a lot of uh, Michael Todd sermons. Pastor Michael Todd. He's really good. Um, but you know. And I and I'm a you know crazy rogue rebel who does what I want to do and and I've learned from a lot of mistakes over the years and I continue to uh, learn from mistakes. But um, my father, probably a number one biggest mentor, coach, teacher. Uh, he's also a pastor. He's also a uh, personal development coach uh, who I've been rebelling against most of my life. And Naturally, like, why you know? wouldn't you? That we all do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, sometimes I'm a got to touch the stove kind of guy. Uh, I guess the older I get, the more advice I heed, you know, instead of touching the stove, uh, getting a little, a little wiser in my old age. Sure. Yes. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, there have been some mentors in Denver. Greg Greenwood has been a mentor of mine. Um, few others, you know, few people who, uh, who work in the city, who I, I met through the process of buying my building in Sun Valley. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, you know, it's such a blessing that, uh, I bought this building in this neighborhood because I've been able to not just do the work that I've done in the neighborhood, but meet so many people that have, been not just beneficial to the growth of the business, but beneficial to my own personal growth. Um, just from being in this neighborhood, which is the opposite of what you would think. You move to the lowest income neighborhood in Denver, you know, what good is going to come out of that? Yeah. You think and, you just want to stay away. Like, don't yeah, go stay in. away. Don't yeah. go there. And honestly, it's the best thing that's ever happened to this business. Oh, that is incredible. Sun Valley has been like all the neighbors, the community, the people, um, you know, the city involvement in supporting my business and being in that neighborhood. Everybody's been great. That's so yeah. good. Have you found yourself being or becoming a mentor or an example of those folks? Cause, um, you know, you got young kids down there. I was just, I was just, uh, doing a podcast show recently with Brandon Lloyd, the former Denver Bronco, and he's involved in a, a program where they take kids who they're not, they're not the kids that either want to, or necessarily feel like they can go to college. And so they take them and they put them through a three-year internship program where they're putting them into predominantly white collar type of business opportunities where they can see what it's like to go there. And maybe they start at the ground level. Like you said, you start in this place, then you end up at this place, right? You go up through the ladder and through the ranks. And so that's what they're doing. And I can imagine with them, with the neighborhood and the neighbors watching what you're doing, that you have an opportunity for some of those young kids as, as you see them, they can use you as an example, or they come in and they work for you or they intern for you or something. Has that been the case in what you found? Absolutely. Actually, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Um, so a few things, uh, they, they see the beautiful state of the art facility that we have now because we give tours, you know, we work with, you know, every high school, vocational school and college in Colorado, and we're on their preferred internship list. Um, but with Sun Valley specifically, you know, we'd give tours of the shop to the kids in the neighborhood. And, you know, they walk into this, I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing, this beautiful facility. Um, they don't know I started living in my car. They don't know that I grew up in the same neighborhood, same type of neighborhood that they grew up in. They don't know that I was never handed anything. They don't know my backstory. They just see this, you know, million dollar facility and think they just popped up. Like everything was handed to me, you know, and what I talk to these kids about, like I love giving tours to the kids in the neighborhood. We don't do so much anymore, but we did a lot of it, 
you know, when there was more of that type of thing going on. But I'm like, you know, don't let people, your parents, society, friends, teachers tell you what you can and cannot do. You know, you're, you don't have to be a product of your environment. You don't have to, you know, be what other people think that you should be. You can do whatever you want. This day and age, in the times that we're living in, you can literally make a living and make money doing anything. <laughs> like literally anything you want to do, you can make money doing. So, you know, I, I talk about what's your passion? What do you love? Because to make the commitments and sacrifices and long hours, not just a year, five years, like I've been doing this for 16 years and, you know, I'm still putting in long hours. Still you know, grinding. People, still cranking away. There's no way that you'll not go out with your friends Friday night and... I got to work till midnight or two in the morning or three in the morning. There's no way you're going to do all the things, the, the level of sacrifice times 10 and the level of commitment times 10 that you think you're going to need if you don't have passion for it. So don't just pick, you know, your parents want you to be this or that. Well, what do you love? That could be a doctor. That could be a lawyer. And some kids are passionate about that. It used to be a stigma that, you know, being an artist doesn't make money. Well, I know artists who make six, seven figures, they're doing really well. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it, you got to love what you do and, um, you know, you can be what you want and nothing comes easy. Nothing comes without sacrifice or commitment. And, um, you know, it just takes time, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, one step at a time, one bite at a time, all, all the cliches. Which are all so true. And, and cliche, I'm a walking cliche. <laughs> I have cliches tattooed on my body, you know, like, they're cliches because they're true. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah. Believe it or not. So here would are. be my final question for you. And I think it's a great one to end on because of your background. It's unique. It's special. It's really cool. If someone's listening, that is either a, a young person and they were interested in being an entrepreneur or B has been in a way of life, whatever that is, a corporate grind or something. And they've been doing it for a long time. And they're afraid they have an idea or they have a desire or they they have a concept but they're afraid what would you recommend to them either a before starting the journey or or b as they make that decision to become an entrepreneur can you rephrase the question sure <laughs> if, you, if you were giving a piece of advice about becoming an entrepreneur and you wanted someone to know so i want to i'm a kid yeah. And I'm like, I think I want to start my own business. They don't even, don't even know necessarily the word entrepreneur. Like maybe you mm -hmm. didn't when you were that young, what piece of advice would you give them? Cause you shared so much of that. Yeah. Here. Um, it's, it's, it's almost, I'll, I'll be repetitive a little bit. It's, it's some of the things that I've already talked about. It doesn't have to be perfect to start. You know, it doesn't have to look a certain way to start. It starts now. Start right now, you know, um, you know, there, there are, uh, a logistics, you know, you can go into the secretary of state.org and getting an EIN number and, you know, kind of, you know, coming up with a name and a logo and all that. But honestly, none of that really matters. You know, what matters is, you know, this is what I want to do and I'm going to start charging for it. At that moment, when you make that decision, you have started a business. You know, and when you get your first dollar for a service or good that you've provided, you have started a business, you know, and it's as simple as that. You can go into, yeah, I need a marketing plan. I need a business plan. You know, I need all these things. I need projections. I need budget, you know, and you can go through all of that. And, and, and the traditional way is make a business plan, make a marketing plan, have projections, you know, have the whole thing laid out before you start raise money, get funding, find investors. And for some businesses, that's the way it, it should and needs to go, but not all. Uh, and even with some of those businesses, you know, people who have those plans don't get funded, don't get investors. No one believes in them. Does that mean you quit? Does that mean you stop? You know, you, you hear no and you can just give up. No, <laughs> you, you keep going. You, you just, you figure out a way. 
Um, it might not be exactly what you want it to look like in the beginning. And I got news for you. It, it will never look like exactly what you want it to look like in the beginning or thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> always evolving. It's always evolving and it's never going to go exactly how you plan it on going. You know, that's why you have to be nimble and shift and flexible and, and uh, not get stuck in a certain path or way or direction. You know, one thing that, you know, I, uh, I'm really grateful for is that I never got stuck, you know, beating my head against the wall, trying to go in one direction. If this door was just closed, well, look to your left or right and find the one that's open. Look behind you sometimes, you know, just look around and see different opportunity. It doesn't, you know, cause it's not going to look the way you may want it to look. Uh, so you got to be mindful of that. Um, but yeah, just start, just get started. Uh, know what you want to do, get started. And again, that could change a million times, but, um, those who don't start never, never finish. Yeah. They don't do, <laughs> they don't do anything. Yes. So, um, and be willing to do whatever it takes. You know, I, I think that is something that, uh, in the, in a world of, uh, and I might offend some people here in a world of awards for participation, you know, we're, we're losing, uh, the personality traits, characteristics, work ethic to legitimately do whatever it takes uh, to achieve your goals, passions, and dreams and be what you want to be in life. And, um, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of employees over the years and I give them this speech when I hire them you know, to find out, you know, what their work ethic is, what their morals and values are, you know, who they are as a personality, as a person, because that's more important to me than what, you know, um, and you know, I, I try and get their temperature, take their temperature on what they think it takes to be successful in life. And, um, you know, I, I just don't think most people grasp that concept of the level of commitment and sacrifice and dedication and heart and passion and energy to get through all the speed bumps and hurdles uh, it takes to accomplish your goals and dreams. I agree. Well, you look at the average business fail, fail rate of small businesses, you look at these things and and it's clear that people, and, and there is a time to stop your business. If you've, if you've created a, something that the public doesn't want, if that was on you because of your misinformation or your ego or whatever. I was going to say ego, you, mostly. You know, <laughs> th then that's going to happen. But, but on the other side, some people are, as the book would call it, four feet from gold, and they just stop too soon. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think you have that. But I'll tell you, I really think, um, read what you've done in your ability to capture the essence of passion and opportunity and street smarts and put all that together into this artistry and this visionary thing has been amazing. If people want to learn more, if they want to find out more about Ink Monster, about branding, about how they can connect with you or how you can help them, how would they go about finding you? Oh, it's pretty simple. Go to inkmonster.com. There's no E in monster. Uh, so it's Ink Monster without an E. Uh, you can check out our social media. We're on all the platforms. Um, you can message us, uh, email us, check out our YouTube. You know, our YouTube channel has over a hundred videos of projects we've done, interviews, um, just different, you know, all our events, like everything we've done, we've documented, photographed, uh, done short video edits. Um, but yeah, you can just go to the website too and hit us up. Um, I'm always happy to meet with people and talk with people, have conversations, share my experience. Um, you know, people have this idea that when you get to a certain level, you're, uh, inaccessible. And I mean, that's just not true. You know, it's, it's where, you know, to pro athletes, musicians, entertainers, you know, people who you look up to or admire, you know, everybody's accessible. I've had conversations with people who I thought were just too 
rich and famous or, you know, successful to want to give me the time of day. Uh, compliments help. You walk up to them or you reach out to them, feed them a few compliments and, you know, uh, share a little bit of your story. And next thing you know, you're having lunch with somebody who you never expected to have lunch with or having a drink or, you know, having a phone conversation or whatever. Right. It doesn't always work. That doesn't mean you stop trying. Amen. You know, right back to what you said, right back right? to, you know, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything in life. You know, you don't act one way in one area of your life and then, you know, different in another area of your life. You are who you are. Yes. Uh, so if you're tenacious and motivated and, um, you know, that never quit attitude, you'll do that with everything. So same thing when you want to reach out to somebody. So if anybody wants to reach out, reach out, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to have a conversation or go get a drink or whatever. That is cool. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, you've been a great partner with us for us. Same. And we look forward to our continuing relationship and, and read just much continued success to you unique monster. And thank you so much for taking the time. Today. Yeah. Really thank you for having it. me. This is a great conversation. Thank you for all the good questions. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fun. And let's do it again. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you.